Vinyl Blue Showcase, episode number 74. Excuse me while I move that mic. Because <laughs> we do it live. We do it live, ladies and gentlemen. Everything live. <laughs> uh, tonight's episode is an interview uh, by uh, Shell Pryor of her husband, uh, the late, great Jimmy Pryor. This is really cool. It's a cassette tape that they did talking mostly about Detroit and his days in Detroit and uh, it's it is really uh, a cool tape it's great to hear Jimmy uh, he's been uh, he's been gone for a while and, and uh, you know I think I said this before but uh, he died in I believe in the fall and I can remember I had a gig with Big Daddy and uh, Jeff Baker and my heart just wasn't in it and I know Jimmy would have wanted me to play because that's what he was that's what he was like but uh, man I just I just couldn't and for a good year, I just didn't play. Um, because it just, I don't know, it was just uh, Jimmy dying. It was like a hole in your heart. And this I know for a fact that's not what he would have wanted. Uh, but I couldn't help it. I mean, he was important in my life. He was, you know, he was 90 years old. So, you know... You know, we can't live forever, but darn it, if, if there was one guy I thought that could, it was Jimmy. Uh, he was rarely sick, uh, smoked like a chimney, drank like a fish, and yet nothing wrong with him. I don't even think he even had to take any medicine till like, toward the end of his life. Uh, he just, uh, uh, I don't know, just lived the perfect life in many ways, uh, especially the, the last few years. Uh, but, uh, anyway, this, this interview he did would have been in 2003, uh, and I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was before I left, uh, for, uh, Storm Lake, because that would, that would have been later in the year, uh, and I think, well, in fact, I know, uh, the reason I got this tape was, I was working on my master's thesis, and then also, and this might have came a little later because that might have been when I was working on the article for Living Blues about Jimmy. And so maybe that's how I ended up with the tape. But anyway, uh, we're going to hear the first uh, half hour of it. And then next week we'll listen to the next half hour. But again, mostly about Detroit. It's mostly about his... So so we're, we're going to hear a little bit about when he worked in the coal mines as a kid. Uh, which would have been uh, uh, probably in the, the early 30s-ish, I'm thinking. Uh, if I did my math right, about 32. Uh, so, and, and I'm kind of, well, you know, people still needed coal, even though it was the Great Depression. Uh, so in many ways, he's probably isolated from, the, from that. Uh, but... Uh, he talks a little bit about it, but not too much. Mostly what he talks about are the years from, from 51 to 59. Uh, from what I remember from talking to Jimmy and from uh, the research that I did in, uh, 
uh, after the war. Uh, he was in uh, World War II. He drove truck for the Red Ball Express, which uh, was kind of a dangerous job. Uh, they basically were the supply unit for uh, for the Allies. And uh, uh, when he came back, and he, he, he would have been fairly old when he went in. He would have been in his late 20s when he went in. Uh, so uh, when he came back from the war, uh, he eventually headed to Detroit. And it's in Detroit that he really started his music career. And uh, he, he played with a lot of the, the cats in Detroit. And a lot of those guys knew him. Uh, and uh, he uh, also uh, went on the road about that time. He, he got involved with Flick Records, which... Uh, there's, a, there's dispute on one end about this. Uh, uh, on our end, uh, I've talked to Cheryl about this, too, that... I mean, Cheryl has documentation that, that Jimmy was, you know, there are people that are the, uh, the, the experts that, that go through all the records, and they say there's no record that Jimmy Pryor ever did for Flick. He never worked for Flick. And so we have documents, apparently, somewhere, Cheryl does. And so, yeah, he, he did, just, you know, they obviously didn't release it. When he listened to the tape, he... It sounds like Flick had him caught up in a contract that he couldn't leave. And so uh, that's probably part of the reason why. they. I doubt that they ever released any of his stuff because it sounds like they were just demos that he was doing for Flick. Uh, but supposedly they're somewhere. So hopefully we can find him and put him on the podcast. Um, anyway... Uh, by 1960, uh, he ended up in Des Moines, Iowa, because we were one of the uh, few places that, that uh, still was 24 hours, seven days a week. Uh, so that gave him a lot of work as a musician. I mean, yeah, there were other places that you could play that. I'm sure Chicago and New York were still that way. But, uh, you know, they're in the, especially in the, the Midwest, Unless you were Chicago or New York, most places start closing up, you know, about 2 o'clock. So uh, Des Moines was still 24-hour, 1960, and stay that way for at least a few more years. I think it was 64, 65, liquor by the drink pass, which put it into the key clubs. Um, but uh, that attracted Jimmy that he could play here. He was supposed to only play here two weeks, and then he ended up staying here for or 45 years <laughs> so uh pretty good run um anyway so uh we're just gonna go ahead and listen to this uh interview uh with and it's good to hear his voice again and uh next week we'll hit the second part of that show and uh hopefully we can uh, add some uh, music to this down the road because uh, from this interview, it sounds like there's a lot of open reel tapes that Jimmy recorded. And I, I've, we've played one that was Jimmy Live at the Pines from 66, which is the, the oldest show we've ever put on the podcast. Uh, so there are apparently others going back into the 50s. So hopefully we can 
uh, find some of those and uh, get them cleaned up and get them on the uh, podcast for you. So, all right, uh, come back at the end of this. I'll kind of discuss some uh, stuff coming up. So don't go nowhere. This is Mr. Pryor and his wife Cheryl talking about the good old days on the Iowa Blue Showcase. Okay, here we are. This is Cheryl and Jimmy Pryor on Cheryl and Jimmy Pryor on April the 6th, 2003. We're sitting at home looking at a snowstorm moving through here. We are going to be talking about Jimmy's music career in various stages, so we're going to be compiling a list of different questions for throughout his music history. So we're going to start with the Detroit scene. And I'm asking Jimmy a question of what was the main club that you played in in Detroit? And what was your favorite club to go to when you were off the scene when you weren't playing to go and listen to music? Well, your first question. What was the main club you played in that you played in when you were in Detroit? The 20 Grand was where I was performing at. And I told you the other day the name of the other club that I had the band in. And what was that name? I don't remember. I told you. (laughs) I don't either. Well, see that? (laughs) So we have to get that stuff together. Yeah. And it's, uh, that was my show bar on Eight Mile Road in Detroit, Michigan. That's where I had the band and where I performed by myself. With, and the band was already there. Was at the Twenty Grand. At the Twenty Grand. Oh, and that was kind of on the main drag there. And that was kind of on the main drag of um, in the area of Detroit where there were a lot of clubs, and so you we performed at that particular one. So there were bands already in-house and you'd come and join them and right. and uh, you played guitar and did you play lead guitar most of the time or rhythm? Just chord. Chord. Okay. So would they call you a pickup man then because you were somebody that came to set in or were you uh, the, on the show bill? No. At this point, I was performing on the show bill. On the show bill, okay. Yeah, see, now appearing Jimmy Pryor. Okay. Very good. And, and, yeah. And what was your favorite club to go to and listen to music when you weren't playing? Was there a particular club that you used to like to hang out at? Yeah, the Flame Show Bar is where I used to hang out at. And the Alveda Club. I used to hang out there when I'm not doing nothing. Those are my favorite spots. Oh. What kind of did they, they have? What kind of music did they have in those clubs? Jazz. Variety of music. Variety. Yeah, so they'd you... have bands, but the bands was playing variety. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I like variety. That's why. That's that's obvious in your music and getting the privilege of listening to these tapes that you have um, 
that you've had from the 50s and 60s and and on from there that you did always like a variety of music and I think it's very evident in your in your style that you you've liked rhythm and blues um, gospel um, I particularly enjoy hearing you sing country um, and so you're right you've always had a good appreciation of well-rounded uh, music so <clears throat> who was the who were who was really on the scene back then in Detroit that when you were playing at these clubs and you would play for other performers um, who were the main folks on the scene then like I know for instance you um, played uh, back up for John Lee Hooker you played with John Lee because you and some other cat you were talking about used to laugh about John Lee playing those simple two chords or whatever and you guys were kind of laughing with him but you know playing with him and stuff in that area when um, we was playing with John Lee Hooker we had a boy named Thurman, Bob Thurman playing piano, a boy named Sleepy on drums, and I was playing my guitar, and we didn't have to make but two chords, two chords, so we laughed all the time, and it didn't matter because we had a packed house of people, and they, yeah, everybody was having a ball, so that's the way the story went. Yeah? Mm-hmm. What was it like playing with John Lee? Oh, yeah, I didn't care. Well, the what, price was right. What, what kind of a cat was John Lee? What was he was like? very good. Was Jolly fellow. Very nice man. Yeah, and John Lee Hook was a nice guy. Yeah, he was nice in his years. That, uh -huh. that was his young days. And how, how often did you play with John Lee? I played with John Lee, um, oh, about twice a month anyhow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when I wasn't doing nothing, I'd go to his club and set in with the band. Okay. Yeah. And what was the name of his club? You don't remember? No, no. But you'd go to his club and play with him. Yeah. And he kind of developed his own style. Right. And well, he had a harmonica player called Sonny Boy Williams with it playing also. Okay. And it was very good. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. Sonny Boy's been famous throughout history. Sonny Boy Williams was the first I know of the good cast of harmonica. One of the old cats. Yeah. He put out a tune called Nine Below Zero. Really? That's when I had my fall, Nine Below Zero, in 98. Yeah. Let's take all this thing and see if it's working. Well, you do it. Okay. Okay, we're continuing on with our little party. <laughs> and a party it is. We're having the great pleasure of listening to some of Jimmy's old vintage reel-to-reel -reel tapes of him playing in Detroit and various uh, establishments, as well as certainly tapes of him playing here in Des Moines and several clubs here. And we'll be talking throughout this interview at greater in greater detail about that. It's really fascinating for me to hear his style of... Uh, of play and his guitar, his lead guitar work, and he was really good on lead guitar. Um, I know he played a lot of rhythm guitar as well, but he certainly, when he was um, in his own band, um, did a did a 
did a good job and so we it's really fun to listen to these tapes so John Lee Hooker was on the scene um, and I know that you did play with Della Reese uh, you sang with Della Reese or she she was doing some backup work Flame show bar. at the flame show bar at the flame show bar and Della Reese did backup singing or Della Reese was on his on the show and I was on the show. Okay. And what kind of a person was she to work with? Very good. Nice She's person. Fine lady. Fine lady. Yeah. That's good. So that, that's interesting that she's gone on in the in music and industry and and also in, in television. In movies now. Yeah. And yeah. now she's on Touched by an Angel in a movie. Yeah. Touched by an Angel. Yeah. She seemed like a very uh, well put together person, and and that she enjoyed what she was doing also. Um, um, who else was on the scene in Detroit? I know BB King was there, and he was at one point. You told me he would play in one club, and you were playing in another club. And when he'd get off his gig, he'd come down where y'all were playing and sit in with you guys and and jam and um and he was learning some guitar licks back then and so can you talk a little bit more about that when when he was around on the scene yeah bb king was um booked for the prince hall in uh, detroit michigan and um a bunch of us guitar players got together and we went up to see him at the Prince Hall. And uh, when he wasn't working, we'd go down to a, a barbecue place on Gratiot. And all us guitar players would meet there and t talk together and, and go to see what each other play, you know. That's nice. And that was good. B.B. was a young fellow then. Yeah. Yeah. And he kind of developed his own style. Yeah, he's and, got his own style. A lot of guys try to imitate him, but he's BB. He did his own thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Those are good days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it sounds like you guys kind of looked out for each other. Oh, yeah. Musicians. Yeah. That you look out for each other and, and probably help each other get gigs and that kind of a thing. Guitar players is on their own scene, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're on our own scene. Uh-huh. Yeah. <clears throat> so guitar players stuck together that's good yeah seems like that that's still the what happens today too uh, on the scene that horn players stick together yep. and guitar mm -hmm. people yep. and drummers and that that's a good thing help each other out yeah yep that was it who else was on the scene up in, in Detroit then? Oh, well, well up on um, the main drag of, of Detroit, Michigan, they have um, big bands. Count Basie. Oh, uh, uh, just good name the bands. Uh, big bands in the early days. Dirk, Duke they, Ellington? They, they, Duke Ellington and all of them. You could go see them for about three or four dollars, you can see any band you want. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we and uh, we all there, always going to them places, you know. Yeah. When the big band comes to town, we want to see. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
So you played a little bit with Count Basie. That's, that's and, right. And, um, yeah. and that band, and also with Duke Ellington, is that right? No. Not with Duke. Okay. You, no. did, you never did play with Duke. No. But you... But, you, uh, but I was around when he was playing. When they were playing. Yeah. But you did play with Count. Yeah. Duke had a big band. Count Basie had a big band. Cab Calloway had a big band. Oh, okay. had a big band. Uh-huh. But I got a chance to appear with Cab Calloway. You did? You played with Cab Calloway? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what kind of a style did he have? Was he a piano? Heidi, heidi, ho. Heidi, heidi, ho, huh? Stole about many divisions. <laughs> yeah. Was he a piano man or a guitar man, Cab Calloway? Just a singer. Oh, he was a vocalist? He was a singer. I was just saying, um, that's the way to so it, you know. Yeah. Well, and you also had went to a lot of jam sessions, you know. So I imagine there are probably people that went on and made big names for themselves. Um, what about the Four Tops? Didn't you used to go to jam sessions with the Four Tops? Turn it. Yeah, we were talking earlier about the four tops, and were they playing with you in Detroit, or were they playing uh, at a club that you used to play in, the four tops? Yeah. I met met all the four tops. I met the whole bunch, you know. One of my bass players, I was at his home in there, and uh, the four tops lived where he lived, and they would be in the kitchen rehearsing. What was the bass player's name? Oh, uh, I forget his name now. I can't think of his name now. Mm-hmm. But I played with his band a little bit, and uh, I went by to pick him up, and the four tops is in the kitchen. And later on, uh, Four Tops comes to my bar, the Rage Show Bar. The Rage Show Bar, uh-huh. Yeah, that's on the 8-mile road. Uh-huh. And they were too young to be on stage. And uh, my boss man said, I'm saying. So I put them up there, Four Tops, Temptations, all those uh, Motown people that were just growing up. Okay. Yeah. I met them all. Uh-huh. Now, when you say they were too young to be on stage, was it they too young to be in the club, or too, did you have to be a certain age they to, weren't 21. to be a performer? They had to be 21 to get in the club. To get into the club, oh, I see. Yeah, all of them was on age. But they got snuck in anyway, and well, they, your boss man let them in. They was in there, but they, they must have got by the bounce or some kind of way, <laughs> but they were in there. Yeah. Yeah. So, we probably had false IDs or something. They, yeah. You know, a lot of that was going on during those days. So you met met all the four tops. You met the t- Temptations yeah. and a lot yeah. of other Motown yeah. folks that were coming guys. up. How about the Ink Spots? Did you know anybody uh-huh. that was in the no. Ink Spots? No. Ink Spots, they were traveling when I was traveling. When you were traveling. So I was on my, doing my thing. 
all over the East Coast, and they were doing that thing wherever they were. But I never did run into them. I, I thought a lot of being spots. I liked the music. Yeah. What about the Neville brothers or anybody like uh, that? I didn't know them about them. Weren't real familiar with that. No. Um, I imagine you guys used to have a lot of fun when you went to jam sessions uh, after hours. Yeah. And I know that they used to call you, in Detroit, they used to call you the Batman. Is that right? They called me the Batman before I went to West Virginia when I was a kid. When you were a kid. And tell us how you got that name. Well, we'd catch a different kind of animals and go to, through the cabin with them on a stick or something. Oh. And I wanted to carry the thing, they wouldn't let me have it. Uh-oh. So they called me Bat. So, and then I grew up in Vietnam, they called me Batman. So I kept that name uh, for a long time. For a long time. That's my name in West Virginia. Batman. Bat. Bat. They called me they called Bat. called you Bat. Yeah. Uh -huh. But that's how I got it. Mm -hmm. so every time uh, <laughs> Kids or something, find some turtle or whatever, you know. A turtle or. They uh -huh. caught this bat and I wanted it. They wouldn't let me have it. Oh, you wanted that bat and wanted to yeah. mm -hmm. make it your friend, huh? Yeah, they started <laughs> calling me bat. That's how I got that name. That's funny. Yeah, and I used it in show business, Batman. Batman. I went to Detroit, they called me Batman. Mm -hmm. I had the Batman cape and everything. Oh, you did, huh? Oh, yeah. I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, listening to some of your tapes, there are some of the bands that you played with. There are maybe eight pieces in some of those bands. Six, seven, eight pieces. Um, when you had your own band um, in Detroit or you were playing with different folks, how big was the band oh, generally? At least uh, six pieces. Because I'd have everything, trumpet, saxon, piano, and all that. Yeah. And you would do the vocals? I'm the, I'm as, the boss. You were the boss, you were, okay. Yeah, I was the, the vocalist. Okay. And I had to do all the singing and play all the, the MC and everything. Play the guitar if I wanted to, because I had piano. Piano and guitar is the same thing, if, you know. Right. You did. You always did a lot of MCing in your in oh. your, uh, and that's one thing that I I certainly appreciate listening to your tapes, and I think other people do, is that you always interacted with the audience, right? And, and you, ladies and gentlemen, you were always very respectful of yeah. the audience, and you got their attention, and people keep the audience right in your fingers involved, yeah. And and they also in turn they always applauded you. And, and it showed you that they appreciated your music. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's what one of the things I think that a lot of today mm -hmm. uh, performers miss is that interaction with the audience. Yeah. What would, would you think that, do you think that's true today, that there are a lot of people that get up just to perform and don't actually interact that well with the audience? They're not playing the audience, no attention. Just doing their thing, you know. Whether the audience paying the attention. Now, well, if the audience didn't pay me no attention, I wouldn't be doing nothing. No. Okay. Well, one of the things, too, that you told me before was that, uh, and I'm not sure who encouraged you exactly, maybe you can talk about it, 
that when you first started in show business that somebody encouraged you to always be dressed. I don't know if it was an agent or if it was just somebody that had influenced you or someone you used to work with had told you that when you hit the stage you're, you need to always be dressed. Well that all started in my early days when I was in those coal mining camps. Everything was bought through, through company stores and I always had suits. I had suits made, and every time the tailor would come through, I'd have a new suit made. Tailor made suits. So I had suits for every day in the week. Wow. Yeah. Overcoats, they make all the things for you, you know. Uh-huh. So I owed my soul to the company store. <laughs> <laughs> owed your soul to the company store. That's the early store. days. That's the early days. Yeah. I worked in coal mines back in those days. Yeah, you sure did. 16, 17. All that age, you know, the young age. Yeah. So you kind of established your own style of dress. Yeah, then. I was dressed all the time. Yeah. You could you could get what you needed. Pretty shoes. What you wanted. Yeah, pretty shoes and pretty suits. Yeah, I just got everything I wanted. Uh huh. I owed my soul to the company store. Yeah. They'd give you anything you want. Yeah. Yeah. And that just carried throughout your whole lifetime. Yeah, but and I was loading that coal 16 tons or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. Getting that cool. You paid your dues for those yeah. those mm -hmm. nice suits too, didn't yeah. you? Yeah. yeah. To buy your car through the company, anything you wanted. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cause you, you didn't have to have no insurance or nothing. Just buy automobiles yours. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So then, when you became an entertainer, um, which you probably were doing some entertaining anyway with music. Yeah. Obviously, from when you were real young. Yeah. Then, when you got to travel and, and go on the road and get with other bands and that kind of thing, when you're start first starting out um, and, and always being dressed and interacting with the audience and interacting mm -hmm. with, when you was it intimidating for you to get on stage when you first started out, or did it just seem natural to you? I never was stage fright. Never had stage fright. No. And I could, I, could, I could get up in it. Didn't bother you? Didn't bother you. Never got bad nerves before no. you went on stage or never stumbled and, and want, didn't have anything to say? It if just I had stumbled, I had to cover it up with the bean cloth, the boo, 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 boo. <laughs> <laughs> and go right on through the song. <laughs> well, that's a good way to handle it. <laughs> that's a good way to handle yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and that's true of you today. You get you continue to always be well-dressed. Yeah. You enjoy um, wearing different outfits yeah. and being dressed to the nines. Also, one of the things that's part of your character that I understand, too, is that you um, not only like to be dressed, but sometimes you like to wear things that are a little offbeat mm -hmm. that other people couldn't get away with. Um, <laughs> sometimes the kind of hat you might wear yeah. or... Your, your flashing jewelry. Uh, I know our, your good friend Frank Martinez calls you the king of electric jewelry. Yeah. That people are always giving you electric, anything that flashes that you can put on your coat jacket and uh, right. flash when you're on the stage. It's, it's just part of your personality <coughs> when you're performing. That was it. 
and people look forward to that to see what you're going to have on when you when you hit the stage and people comment about that frequently um, oh yeah now I want to talk a little bit more about um, you work for uh, Flick Records in Detroit you yeah. cut, cut a couple numbers from them or one one original tune with Flick Records or how did that go <coughs> Well, I made three or four discs with the, just played them on the radio, and um, other record companies, they hear me doing that and try to get me to perform with them, but this record company had me tied up, I couldn't do nothing for nobody. And after I found out what they was doing to me, I wouldn't get no money, I just quit doing anything. There wasn't nothing they could do about it, Yeah. I didn't do nothing. I don't I never did get no work. The record company tied me up. Okay. There wasn't no money in making records in. Right. Do you still have a copy of your original song? Yeah. That, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. What was the name of that song? Do you remember? That you had on rec that you have on record. Oh. One was come to me, baby, and walking all night long, and you know, four. Yeah, four numbers, yeah. Mm -hmm. Plus, well, imitating Nat King Cole and Fat Domino and different things like that, and I didn't like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I refuse to do anything with my suit. So, I finally left there. It sounds to me like through history that, uh, particularly in the black community, that musicians, that record companies really didn't do very many people justice back then. Back they, then they, it wasn't. They took advantage of yeah. a lot of uh, folks. Yeah. But people like Nat King Cole, perhaps he had an agent or somebody yeah. mediating in between to ne you know negotiate contracts yeah. or whatever. See, when I was there, Motown wasn't even started good. They wasn't doing nothing. Our bands played there for a little money, you know, got a little money, not much. Yeah. Used to be a studio band, Motown. Wasn't nothing to it back then. But they got big later on, but that's gone, you know. Yeah. yeah. Later years. Uh -huh. I had to go for myself. Right. I suppose uh, it was a struggle for people to get an agent or um, to get some recognition back then anyway. And so it was kind of a struggle throughout until the kind of Motown got better established yeah, and other yeah. things and then and then people started getting paid for a little bit of their dues what they were mm -hmm. owed. Yeah. Um, do you remember some of the guys that played with Cab Calloway back then? I didn't know none of them. No? That's not necessary. I probably knew them then, but now I don't. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. Um, who were the big names that came out of the clubs besides B.B. King that... What? 
big big name people that you ended up playing that you played with in Detroit, and we talked a little earlier about um, some people that went on into television and and became successful. Can you think of other people that made it big later on? No, not necessarily. Uh, okay. Because uh, at that time in my era. All the clubs had their house bands, and I was just a single entertainer. Okay. Just like the other guys, a single entertainer, but the band was already there. I see. Yeah. Okay. And if you book down in Washington at Flame, the band's already there. Yeah, I see. she just yeah. come in and they play behind her. Yeah. Kind of like studio musicians, but yeah, they're called house right. bands. Yeah. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. That tape should be all run out now. Still going, huh? Mm hmm. Well, I hope it's getting it. It is. I think it should be. The light isn't coming on very much, but. Um. So. Did you ever really want to write your own material, or did you just kind of experiment? No, yes. Never had any desire yeah, to. No, had no music ability. I didn't have that. The ability to compose and arrange no, music. I know nothing about that stuff. So I'm you just a handmade musician. Okay. Yeah. Because you do have some original songs on your reels that were things that you did, but they were just your own style and your own compilation. Not necessarily arranged and that kind of thing. Yeah. It was all done by ear, played by ear, and then the guys could just follow you in yeah. the band. But uh, those things are usually made from uh, some song you already know, and you just change the words and have the same lyrics. Uh, okay. Same or you melody. Change, you got the same melody, but just with new words. I see. And that's a new song. Did that quite a bit. Yeah. So life went on. Also, I know that you um, did some traveling and traveled throughout the United States. And what? When were those years? What were the dates? Approximately when you did your road travel? 1951 on through 59. 51 through 59. Yeah, I was just traveling there all over Canada, the East Coast, different states, different states on the East Coast, different states in Canada, you know, just traveling man. Now, I had my own band then. You had your own band, yeah. and, and so did you have to do the booking of the gigs, or did you just go into a state? I had a booking agent. Had a booking agent. Yeah. Okay. Booking agency. I Got a job for you. Uh-huh. I'm in peace you want. Oh, about five. Okay, I can go to you. To the musician you want tell them I want five men. Tell them I don't want. They come to me. And oh. get the road. Okay. Yeah. Now, when you came to Des Moines, was it hard for you to get you know, into the musicians union here? I didn't have no problem at all. No problem at all. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah. I'll do him a single act then. All right. Okay. There. That's nice. 
nice interview there. Listen to Jimmy and Cheryl. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of cool. Uh, listen to a new story. Uh, I haven't heard that tape for, let's see, would have been, what, two, yeah, 2003, so about 14 years ago. Oh. Pretty cool. All right, so uh, the showcase, uh, you know, we're, uh, I'm still uh, kind of trying to get things set up so we can uh, record some uh, newer stuff. And, uh, but it, uh, hopefully in the next couple weeks we'll have some cooler stuff, but, uh, uh, not that tonight's wasn't cool because tonight obviously was very cool. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we're trying to get some, uh, uh, do some different things and, uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, as always, uh, Life is very busy, uh, and uh, trying to uh, get everything organized and and get things to where I want them, so I can be able to do some more stuff has been very complicated. And it always is complicated, darn it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, hopefully uh, we'll be able to do that. I already talked to Jono and. And Jono's up for it, so I mean, it, it'll be me and Jono and a, and a guest is what we're gonna try to do, and uh, we'll see how that goes. Maybe do something, uh, maybe weekly. I don't know. We'll see. Um, and uh, yeah, things have been uh, kind of fascinating around here with the blues. It's uh, uh, it's feast or famine around here. It's <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I've noticed uh, a lot of guys have gotten a lot of work here recently, and that's kind of cool. So hopefully that'll keep going. And uh, it seems like uh, Sundays at the Hall are doing really good. And, of course, Tuesdays at Carl's. So uh, anytime you got uh, a vibrant jam uh, going, uh, things are good. Uh, you don't want too many because then it's, you know, they're, they're, you're getting taken advantage of. But I think two... Two a week is a pretty good thing. I mean, unless you're a really big, big town, you know, like Kansas City or Chicago, I'm sure they have a, a jam every night. But uh, a town our size, uh, two's, two's about it. <laughs> I don't want to do anything more than that. So, uh, but both of them are doing pretty good. And uh, uh, we had both full blues earlier in the fall. So things are looking up. Uh, Central Blue Side are doing their thing. So uh, hopefully uh, that will uh, turn into more gigs. Of course, you can still catch blues at Greenwood, occasionally at the Yacht Club. So things are looking up here in town. So if you're around Des Moines, uh, check out those spots, and you might see some pretty good blues. So come on by. Because Des Moines is a very popular place for the blues, at least it used to be, and it, like I said, it ebbs and flows, and hopefully we're on the upward swing again. Well, hope you had a good week. Uh, it, it sort of is fall again, but then it was summer again. It's really weird, but it is October in Iowa. Uh, <laughs> I was kind of hoping that wouldn't have to run the air, but 
darn it if I didn't have to run the air a couple days ago. It got too hot. But uh, hopefully fall will kick in. And... Hey, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, like I said, hope you had a good week. Hope you've had some great weather. And uh, hopefully, uh, if you're feeling down, listen to the blues because it'll lift you up. Make you feel better. Chase those blues away with the blues. That's what it's all about. So you guys have another great week. And we'll see you next week on the Iowa Blue Showcase.